Hello and welcome to the Cynic Weekly. I am your host, Louis McCaffrey, and this week I'm joined by three exceptional cynics. Um, they're all, you know, top cynics in their own right. Uh, first off, I'm going to start with, uh, as I always do, he's uh, he, he's got a head like a tennis ball these days. The baldy is starting to grow in a bit and he looks a bit aged, but uh, he's got his marbles at least. It's Christopher Samani. Hello, Samani. How are you? I'm very well. Um, in an old workplace of mine, I used to shave my head, and when it went like this, I did get called tennis ball head. Um, so you've taken me back there in my younger days. Uh, the Clippers will be coming out tomorrow, but thankfully nobody can see me. But thanks for the comment, Louis. Thanks. Uh, no bother. I'll be a bit of nostalgia that it starts off. Uh, next up is a man. No, I really appreciate the confidence this man has because he wears a hat indoors. He doesn't care who's, you know, who sees him or whatever. He just. He has a hat on because he feels like he needs to wear a hat. Stuart Duggan. It's just part of a, a wider aesthetic, lay that I've been crafting for a wee while. So. See, see, some people think your aesthetic's just for the cameras, but it's not. No. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. State of mind as well. You'll live it, you'll live it 24-7, my man. All day. <laughs> and uh, last up is um, one of my favourite cynics. I love listening to the sound of his voice. Um, and last week I spoke a bit about DIY. This man is... Building a house, renovating a house. Um, he's that clever. It's Graham McKay. Love the sound of my own voice as well. Yeah, it's it's exceptional. Um, so how's everybody getting on? How's any news? Anybody want to share anything with the group? So Manny, how many days sober have you been? Oh, right. podcast. I kind of just uh, left no, up. I've been sober for about. Eight minutes or so. Um, yeah, I'm off on holiday next week. I just wanted to say that. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just... Anything watching. planned? Uh, more of this. Um, yeah. Probably be on this next week. Um, maybe a bit more alcohol. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tremendously exciting. Move on. Anybody um, Anybody had a pint out in, the, out in the wild after the restrictions have changed? Graham, obviously you are not here. You're in Germany, that's right, yeah. Uh, it's a, it was a weird thing. I went, me and my girlfriend went last Saturday to a, kind of, like a brewery nearby and you, you have to walk up to it with your face mask on. You get to your table, you can take your face mask off. If you go to the toilet, you need to put your face mask back on. The waitress has to wear a face mask and then you have to fill in a form with your like, name and address and everything. So if there's any kind of track and trace stuff happening then you get contacted so uh, it's, it's a bit surreal but I mean it was worth it for the pints so yeah I've uh, I've, not, I've not been I tried to go yesterday but then I realised that most places you've got to book in advance and uh, yeah I kind of forgot about that so that was a bit disappointing but it's uh, it's kind of good to see people out again I mean I know a lot of people are very cynical about the whole thing um, but you know, from what I saw in some places that seemed to be doing it right and still being socially distant, it was just good to see people out again, having a drink and having a laugh with one another. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it feels, again, we're another week down the line. It feels we're a, a, another step closer to normality. And normality for us, obviously, is having Celtic back in our lives. And um, we're almost there. We could even have Celtic playing a game next week. Um 
the it kind of st- starts to feel now like we're actually in a pre-season. Um, we had the fixtures were released, um, which we're going to come to shortly. Um, but the club are actually at Loughborough University's facility um, on a training camp this week. I think partly because um, I think it's a bit of a kind of trial run for possibly going about the country and the with the whole kind of COVID restrictions and, and moving about that way. And also because they have, apparently they have state-of-the-art facilities for kind of analysis and, um, you know, getting the players up to speed and, and all that sort of stuff. Quite interesting that they would, I suppose, that they would be taking them away. It's, it's kind of, it seemed to have just kind of snuck up on us. Do we think the, you know, the idea of getting a training camp in, getting the, the boys away together again is that is that a good thing at this point i think that um you're quite right that it does start to feel more like a proper pre-season i mean you say that it's maybe just over a week away that we'd actually get to watch celtic it's pretty exciting i think that there's obviously concerns or i think i'm i presume every step's been taken to protect the players and everything with any kind of travel and especially if they're if they're going to be going to france for these games but i think that when you're coming into such a, a competitive and such an important season, you want the players to be as ready as possible and to be able to have high-level opposition to play against, um, then that's quite pleasing to see, uh, even in, the, in amongst the sort of restrictions that are going to be in place. And I wasn't actually aware of that, that um, the place they were at just now was proper state-of-the-art, but it's good to see that they're not sort of resting on their laurels or, or slumming it. It's probably going to have to be like a psychological barrier for the players to get over as well. So it's probably good to get them back together, get them thinking again like a team, get them training together and get them kind of over this huddle of thinking about the, the kind of virus all the time. Because if we are going to be playing sport going forward uh, as a society, then this is a, a really important time for us to be playing sport. I mean, I know it's probably not the most important thing in the, the grand scheme of things, but if we are bringing sport back, then we need to take it as seriously as possible. And getting together in a training camp is taking it seriously. It's a bit of a a reality check, though, as well. I mean, you get the pre-season tours and then you get the, the winter break where they're going to Dubai and they're normally going to somewhere hot. They're going to just outside Leicester. Um, so it does really bring into focus that things are moving in the right direction, but we're still holidaying in Britain. That's all. It's just, it, it, you know, it's positive, um, as you're saying, but, you know, it's still a bit shit. That's just from my point of view. I, I suppose, it, um, you know, it, it focuses the mind. I'm sure that'll be the kind of main thing, is that they want to try and refocus the players on the task at hand and, and what's coming up. Um, and what better way to do that than as you say, maybe get them out of the bubble of Glasgow and get them where they've been kind of locked up for so long. Um, does anybody worry about that? About, you know, the idea that the players are maybe mentally not there? I mean, I suppose we always focus on the physical aspect of it and whether they'll be physically fit. But, you know, the club, of you know, the, the team have got so much, you know, so much at stake, I suppose, this season and the goal is so big. Does anybody worry that maybe they're going to have a harder time than anybody else or any other team when it comes to trying to get kind of refocused and, and you know, into that mental space where they're ready to perform at their best again? I think that one of the main strengths of the current crop of Celtic players is that 
that mindset that you're referring to has almost become second nature just because not only have you got this core group of players that have just become serial winners, um, you, you haven't really seen much in the way of a turnover of the squad either. Like All the important players are still there currently. All the players that have dominated for so long are all still there. And whilst I think that all athletes or all teams are going to face challenges in terms of getting back up to maybe that quite that competitive speed or that competitive sort of edge, which I think you saw when, when the English league restarted, there was a lot of nil-nils and maybe just not quite the sharpest. I think that everyone will be facing that, but you'd have to presume that Celtic would be in a much better position to blow off those cobwebs quicker just because they're used to pressure, they're used to winning, they're used to playing at a high level. Uh, and conversely, you know, you can say that there's a lot of pressure on Celtic this season, but there's arguably more pressure on on Rangers as their best closest rival, um, knowing what's at stake the other way. I'm quite interested to see how how we look from the off because I think we've mentioned it on here before and, and a few other folk have mentioned it in terms of the likes of McGregor and the amount of football they've played. They never really had a significant rest because generally we're going from finishing at the end of May and maybe get a week in June where they go whatever. And then they're back in for pre-season training and straight into the Champions League um, uh, qualifiers. Now, I know it's not ideal being in the house for three months or whatever it was that they were, but that, that that's given them a physical rest. Now, obviously, with pre-season, they're going to try and get back up to speed and they've probably been ticking over. But it, it, it's perfectly feasible that these guys, these players that have been playing so much football might actually be better rested and you might see more from them at the start. So it, it's quite intriguing. It, it could go either way. Um, but I, I'm getting the, I, I get the feeling that we might see the best from some of our players that have played far too much football, if we're being honest. And it's I, I, it, with the cl- crowds not being there at the start as well, Maybe that pressure at Celtic Park comes off them. Couple that with the rest. I think we, I don't know, maybe I'm just being hopeful, but I think we might see a really flying Celtic when we come back. I think you've got a lot of kind of aspects as well. When you think about the kind of foreign players, like uh, obviously Tam back to Australia, I mean, that must have been a, that must, must have been like the longest these guys have been able to go back and visit their family for such a long time. And you would like to think it's refocused them and maybe just got them thinking about what's important to them, got them probably missing the football, got them missing their friends. And I can't see us being, I just can't see us being any further back than any other team. I could only see us being ahead of other teams because we have the impetus from the end of last season and because we've got the impetus of going for the 10. I mean, as as Samana said, maybe this has all just been a bit too optimistic. But the only thing that worries me about this uh, training camp is that the rat sidling over like a baddie from a fucking movie and try to whisper in the ear of Karl Mark or something like that. That's the only thing that worries me about that training camp. And just too close, Graham. Is it just, do you, do you think that he's he's going to do a Bielsa and he's going to be kind of looking in with the binoculars into the training ground? He's got his beady eyes, man. There's going to be there's going to be a shot where he's like laughing when you're lining or something like that. It's going to fucking enrage us. He'll probably, he'll probably hire a plane to have a banner in the sky as the players are training. So I'm like, I'm watching you, you know, big, big creep. Danny McGrain, thank you. You're here as long as I am. Or I'm shite like that, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put anything past him. Uh, other than that, which I wasn't worried about until right now, but now I am, 
Uh, the thing that I'm most concerned about with the players coming back is probably specifically Brown, just from a player that has played at such a consistently high level and been so important for us. There was always this talk of, was he playing too much? Was he burning out? And I actually think that consistent competitive games for a player of his age is probably what he needs in order to stay at that level. And I think that I'm sure he's very fit. I'm sure he's taking it very seriously, but getting back up to proper match fitness for a 35-year-old in that position has got to be a big challenge. So it'll be interesting to see if he's still able to go again. Yeah, there's there's quite a few of them. I think that, you know, we'll see that. Brown, Brown is at that other end of it. He always does say, you know, he'd rather play games and, you know, keep keep consistent playing, playing games for his own fitness. And then you've got the likes of Cal McGregor, who's played so much that he, you know, this can only benefit him, surely, this this kind of time out. Um, we we are flying out to France, or we're due to fly out to France um, after this this kind of week's stay uh, in Loughborough. We're, uh, we've got three matches lined up. Um, we should be playing uh, Moussa Dembele's Lyon team on the 16th of July. So what's that next week? This is, yeah, next Thursday. Next Thursday. Um, and then Nice on the 18th. Um, and then we finish with a game against PSG on the 21st. Um, so, you know, I, I thought I was quite good. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. I didn't think we would really do anything like that, to be honest with you. But obviously they've kind of got it, they've got it organised. They know, you know, where they're going to be staying and all that sort of thing. So they must have put a lot of work in behind the scenes. Um, three quality teams, you know, you would expect that that would be a great kind of great games to kind of get us up to fitness again, get us back into the swing of things. Can only be positive going over going over to France and, and playing these games. Anybody get any any reservations or is it is it all good? I think it's good from a point of view that I was I was listening to a pod and they were talking about France being one of the earliest leagues back next season. Uh, they, I think because they wanted to try and get that attention that the Bundesliga had for a little while and try and get some eyes on them. So I think it's going to be a case of these teams going to be really at it as well. So I think it's going to be competitive to get to uh, to get us up to speed because the French teams need to get up to speed as well. So I, I think I mean I don't if we're going to be as I, as I kind of mentioned earlier if we're going to be playing football we need to start playing football. Yeah, but it, I mean the good thing is we're not playing like Scottish teams. You know, I think that was that's what was maybe hinted at a while ago is that we would be playing possibly even other premiership teams and friendlies. I think this is this is good. You know, it gets us away, gets us out of, out of Glasgow for that bubble, and we're playing against a much higher level of opposition. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And you never know, we might even we might even do a bit of scouting while we're there. You know, um, we obviously like the French market, so you never know, we might might uncover. Uncover someday in those games. Um, the kind of big signing news this week, uh, since we we spoke last week, um, is centered around Fraser Foster. I think we put out the podcast yesterday, and then the night of Cynic came out with an exclusive the next day that he uh, he's not signing, he's not coming back. Um, how do we think the club should kind of deal with us? It's it, it very much sounds like. Fraser Foster has decided not to come. He's personally taken the decision not to come. I kind of see it one, like I kind of see it a couple of ways. You know, Neil Lennon says the two clubs agreed another year loan with an option to buy at the end of it. 
Now, I think if he's actually been told that he's got a chance in the Southampton team um, and that's what changed his mind, I would be very surprised and I'd be pretty disappointed. Um, but the the other thing is, you know, maybe he just doesn't want that loan. Someone else mentioned that. I can't remember if it was on Twitter or if it's on the WhatsApp. What does he do if Celtic kind of, if you like, use him for another year to do the 10 and then don't take up the option? And, you know, he, he obviously doesn't want to be in that kind of fragile position. He wants a permanent deal. Do, do we sympathise or do we think, no, nah, you know, fuck him, let's move on? I think there's unanswered questions with it. I, I don't... I mean, Daryl Curry's saying that it's not dead. And we've seen Lennon's comments about saying that there was a deal agreed and, it, and it's in Forster's court. I don't... I wouldn't blame him ordinarily for taking his time over it in terms of what might be on offer to him. But the the issue that he's going to have with that is we can't wait just in terms of how we need to kind of recruit for the season going forward. I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if it turned out that he signed for us. I still think that um, it's this time scale that's going to be the issue. We might have to just move elsewhere if we can't get an answer out of him quickly. What, think, what, what do you think we should do, somebody then? I mean, do you do you take it? I mean, it kind of does smack a wee bit like he's not he's not really that bothered. I mean, I don't want players here for the ten for ten in a row unless they're fully committed and want to be here. And you know, if he's not excited by this chap, you know, if he would rather, if, if he's more excited by the prospect of possibly being on the bench for Southampton as opposed to coming and doing ten in a row with us, I don't want him. I think, well, I know what you mean, but we've not we've not heard from him. There's still a wee bit missing for me just now. I mean, you would, you're obviously going to take the immediate cynical view, obviously, on the 90-minute cynic. We're going to do that. The, the guy, after the Rangers Cup final and after the Lazio games, you know, was telling how Wood's done wonders for his confidence, how coming back here is just going to revitalise his career and this is his home and he wants to be here and things like that. And then... Obviously, they say a deal was agreed and, and, and he's holding up on that. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe he's considering it just now. I think in ordinary times, if you will, if the transfer window was the 31st of August, this might be one of those long-standing ones that dra- dragged on a wee bit and then eventually we got them back. The problem is we probably don't have time to do that. My gut feeling the club is they should probably go and sort out a keeper if we can't get an answer them off them quickly. But at the same time, there's something telling me this isn't done yet. I still think there's a chance we'll sign him just because it seems as if the finances have been done. There is, There seemed to be an affection with him. He might be thinking about there might be something else out there, but it might be that he comes to the conclusion he still wants to be here. It's no dead for me yet, and I mean, maybe that's me being hopeful, um, but I, I still think there's a few unanswered questions. And, and the fact is Lennon didn't come out and say he's not coming. He came out and said the ball's in his court. Curry said, you know, the move's still possible. So it's still hanging there. The problem is we need an answer quickly and that might be the issue. I don't think that I don't think we should be I don't think the club should be talking about him in the way that we spoke about him the other day. I think it should be if the ball's in his court, I think we should just like 
kind of keep her powder dry and just say, well, it's it's an ongoing situation, blah blah blah, because I think it puts on on kind of uh, need, unneeded pressure on him. This guy's been good to us. He's given us a few years of his career. He's given us a lot of money. He came back on loan last season and done really really well for us. I think if he's got hesitation, as Louis says, he's going to be what thirty three next year. If he's got hesitation about having a loan deal that's going to take him up to the last year of his contract or take him basically to the end of his contract and then he could be in a year's time without a club and injured, he could get a really bad injury and be without a contract, then I think it's I think we owe him the kind of uh, silence of just basically getting on with it behind the scenes and just seeing if we can get him in. And other than, other than, other than that, I think we should have been looking for option B from 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 for the last few months I mean I, I, I hate the fact that we, it looks as if we're now looking for option B and that fucking Joe Hart or David Marshall could be that option B because that's not the way we should be running the club we should be looking for players that are in a good age group players that have obviously not lost it like Joe Hart but obviously we don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes about player recruitment and stuff like we've just been linked with a Fulham goalkeeper 28 year old uh, but he doesn't exactly fill me with confidence either. I would just like us to. I would like us to get Foster. But I just don't want to see us putting pressure on him when I don't think there's much need to put pressure on. Either get the deal done or move on to someone else. I don't think that it was necessarily that they were putting pressure on him or trying to put pressure on him. It's a difficult position for Lennon in the club when it's essentially all people want to know about. I think that going into the window, everyone would have assumed that. Of the two, for example, between him and Elianusi, that would have been the more straightforward of the two to get across the line because of the affinity that he's had with the club, because he was there at the start of the town and there at the end. Um, and then if you're able to get the Elianusi deal done, then questions are to be asked, why Why is this one not going through? And I sympathise for Fraser Forster in his position where you're quite right that he he wants some clarification about what he'll do after next season I don't I can't see a scenario where Celtic wouldn't take up the option to buy him to be honest and I imagine that it's probably more of a financial situation like it's easier for Celtic to take a loan just now with the option to buy probably as a factor with what's going on with the pandemic that you know 10 12 million pounds if you can put that off for a year when there's a bit more clarity and a bit more certainty in in general then you would want to do that Maybe he just doesn't trust Peter Lowell, though. Well, you know, you know, maybe he just should, like should operator. But um, yeah, I I also kind of think that as sentimental as we are about Fraser Forster, I don't want to say like fuck him, but I mean, yeah, I'm under a bus, go. No, not at all, because there'd be no one happier than me if, if he signs on. But what I mean is that Celtic can't just sit about and stare at the, the window looking at the rain, hoping that Fraser Forster is going to come back and. And I think that that is largely the point that Lennon was making the other day where the club are surprised that this is how it's played out. It's kind of on him. And then if not, then we need to find someone else. And and that's that's urgent. Because I can definitely see a scenario where we're playing games with Scott Bain and Hazard on the bench and it's not resolved just as the window trundles on. I actually feel like, much like yourself, Sermani, I don't think that it's over necessarily. I do think it's going to rumble on and the more that it does rumble on it just becomes a distraction and I don't think that we need distractions if, if at all avoidable I think I think the club have got an idea of where they are with it 
and it, that might not be a complete no just now, but I think some of the, the speculation around are the other keepers and as I alluded to earlier on, the time, the, the, the kind of time scale that we need to work to, I think they've probably got an idea in their head how long they need to wait before they would then move on to somebody else. Now, if we're ruling out Foster, you start thinking about other keepers, Joe Hart and things like that. Maybe maybe this isn't the, the podcast to discuss that, you know, but, you know, there are other goalkeepers out there. Um, and it's refreshing to know that we've probably got our eye on some of them just now. Um, but I th- I, the way Lennon was talking and some of the stuff that's came out around that, I think they've probably got an idea in their head how long they can wait for Foster. And um, again, as I said, I'm not sure it's dead yet, but he's probably he probably knows what the time scale is as well. And I think we'll just have to keep our eye on it over the next week or so. You you would have to think though. I mean, the the club thought. I think the plan was to announce him and El Yunusi both staying on together. So you would have to think that this is a bit of a headache for them. You know, they thought that the goalkeeper was sorted, and then suddenly they've only got one goalkeeper, and they're not sure, not sure what to do. I would I would like to think this has became their biggest priority. You know, the, we cannot we cannot go into competitive games with only one one goalkeeper really. Um, so, there, some Manny mentioned, um, you know, we'll be looking at other names. We've had a lot of names linked. We've had, a, you know, I'm very skeptical of it or cynical about the, some of the names. The likes of Joe Hart, I think a lot of it is is paper talk. I think it's to grab headlines. Um, I would be surprised if if we signed Joe Hart. Um, but as I, as I mentioned on the the lunch club on on Friday. You know, Stevie Woods will have a say, and if you know, if uh, if he thinks that Joe Hart is worth the gamble and he can get something out of him, then you know, I'm more than happy for him to, you know, to go for it. But um, Joe Hart, David Marshall, um, Barkas, the 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 boy uh, AEK Athens. Um, is there anybody that anybody is, you know, let's just presume that Fraser Foster is not coming back. There's also the the, the goalkeeper that was at, I can't pronounce his name, but he was at St. Martin last, last season. Who would you have? I mean, if, if we're not going to get Fraser Foster, out of all the names you've seen, or maybe names that you haven't seen, is there anybody that kind of stands out and you think, yes, let's go for him? I think the only one that stands out to me would be the Athens goalkeeper because I know that he's not, sh- I don't know that he's shit. Whereas I know that uh, Joe Hart is shit and uh, I, I know that David Marshall was basically not... Like, I'm sure Scott Bain was getting Scotland games in front of David Marshall at some point as well. So if it if it came to it, <clears throat> I would be happy. I didn't, I, I'm not actually that against Scott Bain. I think he had a couple of bad matches for Celtic and plenty of goalkeepers have had bad matches, including like Craig Gordon's had hundreds of them, Chris, uh, some money shaking his head here. But I mean, I would maybe give. It kind of goes back to how how long do we wait? I, I mean, I would give a goalkeeper up until it was like it was near the end of the transfer window last time that we got Foster, wasn't it? So I mean, I would be happy. I would be happy going nearer the European ties uh, than than right away. Like I would be happy getting a good a good goalkeeper in near nearer the European ties and trusting Ben going forward until then. I mean, I don't think there's any point in jumping in on someone like Joe Hart. Joe Hart would come in and instantly be one of the top earners. 
and I don't think he's good enough for that anymore. He went on a he went on a world tour of being shite, and he's not looked good in a long time. He really did. He did go on a world tour of being shite. I mean, he must have at some point went. You know, the fuck am I doing in Italy? Being being shite over here, embarrassing my family. Um, another Italian who embarrasses family regularly. Christopher Samani. What's what's your thoughts? And David Marshall as well. What do you think of David Marshall coming back? Mark. Marshall, I mean, going on about Scott Bain and, and David Marshall, for me, they're, they're much of a muchness. Now, see the bad, bad games that Bain had? He, you need to give him the benefit of the doubt because he was carrying an injury, from what I understand, against Cluj and, and Motherwell. But other, outside those, when he was injured, Bain was ordinary. That's, the, that's my issue more so with Bain than him being terrible or whatever right that's why he's an okay number two he's a good number two it's he doesn't reach he doesn't reach the heights that other goalkeepers have had more recently do now you talk about Gordon 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 falling off a cliff or whatever in terms of his form Gordon did things that a lot of goalkeepers couldn't do Bain doesn't do that for me people talk about him away in Valencia and I mean it was a good performance but for me it wasn't anything close to what Forster's done or close to what Gordon did. And that's that's my issue about about Bain. I just he's just a bit vanilla for me. Marshall, there's a reason why he left Celtic in the first place, because he left pretty young. And if you've got a keeper like that, who was good enough then, and I know keepers mature as they go on, again I just think he was okay. He was good. He's not somebody that I would be particularly pleased about um, coming back. The problem with Forster being there is you know how exceptional he can be, and that's why you want him back. Hart, I would tend not to want, but there is a wee bit of an outside chance here that working with Woods and working at a club, you know, where he's going to be kind of idolised if he if, if he plays to any sort of level, that's a kind of roll in the dice. It's probably not something I would do, but if it happened, I wouldn't rule out him being a surprise for us just because certain clubs are suited to certain players, but. I, I'm saying that, but I wouldn't go and sign him. Do you know what I mean? But Bain and Marshall, for me, are a, a level below what I would want. Um, and the problem is, obviously, if you've got Barkas, I mean, he, he looks good. That's an unknown quantity. But the age he is, he's an established international. That's someday I would be happier taking a risk on than going with either of them. I, th- I think they all come with some sort of baggage. We were kind of talking about this, what's worse or what's riskier, rather, someone like Barkas, who is more of a, an unknown quantity, uh, but more expensive versus like a David Marshall or a Joe Hart, who you would probably get on the free, but you you know they're essentially both two goalkeepers in decline. Um, I kind of agree with what you're saying, Sermani, that David Marshall and Scott Bain are much for muchness, and I think that I do see them as kind of like really good second-choice keepers and you would want something better than that. And just kind of not to retread old ground, but when we're talking about the Forster thing coming as a shock to the club, I don't think that Gordon would have gone, or I don't think the club would have slept on that deal with Gordon if they'd known that Forster definitely wasn't coming back. So, yeah. Who knows? yeah. There's also a wee bit of recency bias with... Uh... Celtic goalkeepers and kind of comparing them. I mean, if you if you look at Ben over the last few Celtic goalkeepers, he does fall down the rankings quite a bit. But if but I think I can't remember. I think it was uh, Louis said he was a bit a bit vanilla. There's not many teams in the world that doesn't have a bit of a vanilla goalkeeper. 
Like a lot of teams have vanilla goalkeepers. Most goalkeepers are probably vanilla. Aye. And we've been in a situation in the last few years where we had Boric, who was absolutely world-class at, at times, man. Like one-on-one, I've never seen a better goalkeeper. We had Fraser Foster, who has at Celtic Park been one of the best goalkeepers I've seen. And then we had Craig Gordon, who had just came off being one, the most expensive goalkeeper of all time. Other, other than that, between them and Ronnie Simpson, Scott Bain's up there. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like we're we're talking about Scott Bain being vanilla in this current epoch, but yeah. in the whole of Celtic history, he's not that bad. No, you're you're abs- you're absolutely right. Would I take Scott Bain over any goalkeeper during the nineteen nineties? Yes, I would. But let's not regress here, Graham. Come on, we've set new standards. We are the goalkeeping club, not them anymore. Come on. Also, there's a sliding scale of vanilla ice creams, just because it is a, a basic flavour. You can get very high-end vanilla ice cream and then you can get own-value vanilla ice cream. Iceland basics. Exactly. So on on the scale of vanilla ice cream, where would we rate Scott being? Up there. Is he a Mackey's? Ma- Mackey's is quite a good one. I'm, tr- I'm trying to he's think. Get, he's, he's got wee black bits in the, in the vanilla. That's how you know, it's like, I, you know it's a good vanilla ice cream and there's the wee black bits in it. Fraser Forster's uh, a Colpies ice cream because it's uniquely the best that we have to offer. I would I would say Scott Bean's a solid, basic grade Walls ice cream. There you go. I, yeah. I, that's a that's a reasonable compliment. I would give. It, it wouldn't be unfair to find him in a Neapolitan ice cream selection next to some chocolate and strawberry, just as the the vanilla offering. This is maybe something we could kind of expand on further with, with other positions, maybe. Um, on that, uh, Paul Paul Curran at PaulBoy88 on Twitter has uh, asked, do you think signing a centre-half is just as important as signing a keeper? We are very short in both positions. I think I'd, I mentioned it last week, how we seem very short in numbers. I think you'd probably need to count Elhamid as a centre-half option now because we are so light. Um is that a position that anybody's particularly worried about? Or, or I mean, I, I don't think it's up there in terms of as much of a necessity as a goalkeeper because clearly we only have one. But is that the next next position to try and fill after goalkeeper? Yeah, I think that it's particularly important if they are planning on pressing ahead with a 3-5-2 this season because as it stands... You could probably spring to five centre-halves if you're including Welsh because if you're presuming that Ayer's not going anywhere and that kind of talk is kind of killed a wee bit, hasn't it? But you never know what's going to happen. Uh, so you'd have Gillian, Ayer, Beaton, Elhamed and Welsh and you probably want someone else coming in there. Beaton is obviously quite injury-prone. Welsh very inexperienced. Elhamed even more injury-prone. Uh, so I think that that's definitely somewhere that the club will strengthen. They were linked with someone the other day that, that plays centre half and centre mid. I can't remember what he's called. We were talking about it yesterday. Uh, the boy f- is that the boy from Rapid Vienna? Vienna? Or, or Rapid Vienna? Maybe, yeah. Um, but I, th- I think that that will be uh, a priority. Although, as you rightly say, nothing's a bigger priority than goalkeeper just now because we essentially need. If you if you go through the Celtic one first eleven, the only position where we'd need a starter as, as a goalkeeper. I think a centre-halves, as you say, Stuart, is essential uh, if 3-5-2 is going to make the basis of our team going forward this season. And I mean, 
we talk, I mean, Lou, you've talked several times about Ayer and, and some of the mistakes he's made. And Julian, to an extent, you know, slipped up a couple of times. I think we could get away with that a bit more when we had a keeper of the quality of Forster behind him. If we're going to, if we're going to regress a bit in terms of a goalkeeper, it may be more important to reinforce the, or at least the centre halves are going to need to cut out some of the mistakes they made. Um, but I would, I would be far more comfortable if we got another centre half um, going into the season. Yeah, I think you make a good point. You know, it's like Fraser Foster. If if he comes back, the other players, especially the defenders, are going to get a massive confidence boost. Um, but you know, on the higher one, I mean, I would like to. I would like. You know, see if any players are gonna leave. If they know that a player's got, I want this business done as soon as possible. And I, and I know, don't get me wrong, that you know you can't force you know force the other team to to buy him quickly and all that sort of thing. But it worries me that that we go further into the window. Um, you know, further along the line, and then all of a sudden, Ayers off. I mean, I hope they've kind of got a plan and they know roughly. You know he's staying or he's going or you know and they and they work to that somehow. Um but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Defenders I think I think it probably is where we need to strengthen. Um we've lost quite a few players from like ending loans and things like that. Um you know in a number of different positions. So it'll be interesting to see where we really thought there was a priority. Like, obviously, like, Bowers left. Do we do we need to buy another right-back? Are we going to bring, bring back. someone else Give him another year. He's a beautiful guy. But Does Jozo have a club yet? Uh, still time. Still time to bring him home. Uh, what I was going to say was, uh, I know that it's sort of peak Celtic to not get the business done in a timely fashion. We've been banging our heads against the wall year on year with regards to, you know, the European qualifiers and especially when you'd like to see Celtic do business in January so that when you're in these windows, you can really hit the ground running. But I feel like every year we have the same conversation where we're really on at them and hoping they're doing this and hoping they're doing that. And I would say that last window there, last last summer, sorry, when the club was in the squad, sorry, was in a real state of transition, by and large, they did a really good job in the end of getting everything that they needed. And I'm hopeful that, you know, they're not going to rest on their laurels. They're going to look to their laurels. They're not going to rest on them. Um, and I'm sure we're, that it will be fine. We've, we've had a, I think the last two transfer windows, everybody's been pretty happy with and said they've been successful. You know, I, I wanted to focus on that a wee bit, the, the last one um, in particular. I've got this problem um, on the Cynic Patreon. There was a new podcast this week. Um, it was uh, Celtic 101, Cynic 101. So it was uh, kind of room 101, your biggest gripes and all that sort of thing and decide whether they go in the timber or not. It was really enjoyable um, episode. But one of the ones, you know, I, I was asked... I wasn't selected. I was asked to give my gripes and then I, I get, you know, ignored for the pilot, which is a bit disappointing. Um, never get the phone back but um, you know one of my gripes is that players are written off too quick when they're not given the opportunity to impress um, and particularly I've, I've heard this week talk about Klamala and, and Sorrow being done people like nah they're done you know that's surely that, I mean maybe I'm alone in this but does anybody actually think that they are done 
Like, I want to see Clem Allen Sorrow given an opportunity. I don't feel as if they've had any opportunity yet. Um, I mean, Sorrow's not even played a game, and yet some people are saying, nah, he's not good enough just because he maybe didn't take over from Scott Brown, um, you know, in, in the games that we had there after the turn of the year. But, I mean, surely these guys, I mean, Kamala, he looks absolutely ripped. <laughs> the guy looks an absolute unit. So does uh, so does Bio. I noticed Bio stood out to me in the in the training video on YouTube. I mean, they just look like, you know, a really great physical condition. I would hope that Kamala, Bio and Sorrow have actually got a big part to play and we're going to see them soon. Do I have to write them off? I think it's the case of... Uh... There's been so there's so much pressure on Neil Lennon. There's probably more pressure on Neil Lennon than there's ever been on any coach in the recent history at Celtic. And it's from people like me that just criticise him at every turn. And the the pressure on Neil Lennon is is leading to him picking a very a very set team on a week to week basis. And you can see why he's doing it because he wants to try and win every single match, and he wants to try and win every single competition. And obviously, he wants to get to the ten. I honestly cannot see any of these players that you mentioned getting a run of games until after the 10 season. I just honestly, I just can't see it happening. They'll maybe get like Clyde away and things like that in the cup, but I just can't see, I can't see Neil Lennon trusting his legacy in players that have just come in when he, when he has his established players there. And I can totally understand that from, a ten in a row point of view. Ten in a row. Ten in a row is a. I've I've described it before as a sickness for Celtic, and it is a sickness, but it's something we just need to get done. And then should we have bought them? Then, you know, I mean, surely Neil Lennon, he he wanted Sorrow and Clamala, but you know, I understand they're they're not going to go in and, and you know necessarily be starters, but you know, surely they're going to be given an opportunity this season. I think that. You're right in that Lennon must have been a part of that process in recruiting them, at least casting an eye as to whether or not they're going to improve the squad or not. And I don't think that it's a case. I think there's examples last season of players that are have trained their way into that team, Frimpong being the obvious example. I don't think that Lennon is um, quite as fragile as that whereby he he uses the starting 11 as like a comfort blanket i think that if if players are playing well enough and then if they are playing their way into that team then then there is opportunities to be had um i think that you're quite right Lou, that i, I wouldn't want to see them written off Klamala had a handful of minutes really sorrow not even barely kicked a ball didn't even kick a ball really and so you don't want to see them written off. I joke a lot about Bayo, um, and I'm not saying that he's shite, but I'm also not saying that he's not shite. Uh, but at least we've seen a bit more of Bayo, and he was given opportunities um, to kind of take part. And so you've also got to take into consideration that these boys are coming to a new country and settling in, and it takes a certain perhaps maturity and um, that maybe they don't have as young players to come to a new country and hit the ground running, especially into an established team like Celtic. So I don't think it's unfair that they haven't slid straight into the team, but you're, I'm hopeful that they'll definitely be given an opportunity. I think, um, excuse me, Soros particularly finding it difficult because obviously he's young and he's just had to kind of establish himself in the country. But also the midfield that we have is the hardest area of the team to walk into. Now, if you've got 
you've got McGregor and Brown who are seen as if they're going to start every game and then you've got another place to go and you've got players like Christie and, and Rodgick when he's on form whenever that is um, that's a difficult place to kind of um, ease your way into now you shaking your head there Louis. Um now again we, we really don't know about Sorrow because again what is he 21, 22 the, the, the guys it's, it's a lot to expect him to come to this country you know, he played in. It was it was Israeli played in before, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He played, he and, and and he and he plays very specifically in Scott Brown's role. But yeah. but that that might be you know might that that might actually be a good thing for him. We mentioned earlier that Scott Brown. We we don't know how Scott Brown's going to react after being out this long, and he he's pretty much the only direct replacement. So you know well, maybe he uh, will get that chance. But again, you, you could say that about about Kuasi as well uh, in terms of. Everybody viewed him as being the guy that would slot into Brown's position when Brown wasn't there. I don't know if it necessarily always has to work like that, um, but I, I, I'd look more towards his age. The fact he hasn't played too much football, um, even when he was in Israel, I think it was only a couple of years that he played there. I'd be more inclined to just kind of let him wait and see. Klamala, I think he'll get chances. I mean, if we're going to play two up front, Bio seems as if. Same as Stu, I'm not saying he's terrible, I'm not saying he's he's not terrible, you know. But Klamala, I reckon Klamala will have more opportunities to get a shot than Sorrow will uh, in, in the coming season. And again, part of it's all about grabbing your opportunities when you can. Now, some players take a bit of time to warm up and they need a few games to get anywhere. But I reckon if Klamala comes in and gets a few goals, you know, he, he could see himself in, uh, in the mix. And as you say, he, he looks a lot stronger. Um, than he did previously. Sorrow, as I said, that would be a bit more difficult. But I, I, I've not written these guys off. I think they've, they've still got a, a shout at it. From the small amount that we did see Klamala, I think he smacked of that player that just wants to do well so badly that they're perhaps, they just maybe need to relax and maybe settle into it. Thinking of when he came on against Thistle and he was just running about like a maddie for like those 10 minutes that he had. And then also if you're talking about people writing him off, it was as if people just decided that when he went one-on-one with that keeper in the Clyde game and he didn't score, that that was him, that you should just punt him. But I mean, it's just a player that wants to come and he wants to he wants to get rocking, ultimately. That's all Klamala wants. He wants to get rocking. And maybe he, the time away from football, actually, just now, to just settle in, settle into his surroundings, settle into his team, know his teammates, will we'll serve him uh, in good stead for this season. Yeah, yeah. Again, to, just to reiterate the point, Soro and Clamar are young guys. You know, culture shock coming to Scotland. You know, you, uh, anybody that's writing them off, I, I think is daft. I think, you know, we'll, we'll see over the, 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 the coming season, but I, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing both of them. I think when uh, Stuart's premonition about uh, Eddie signing a new contract and then getting injured, when that comes true, Bio is really going to step to the fore and... What a player he'll be. I, I ain't saying nothing. Looks class in the old YouTube, does bio. He's, he's some header of a ball on the on the old YouTube. I think he should you know, him and Clamala up front, you know, Eddie Eddie's injured. The two of them, Griffiths hasn't got a chance. You know what I mean? Stuart, um, just, uh, just before we, we move on, then I'm actually gonna pull you I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pull you up. I'm gonna put get pull gal up for that. Because he forced you into saying it. I know I didn't want to say it. I tried to stop oh. myself from saying it. And the, pu- the puppet master's turning on the puppet. Jesus. I, I run this cynic, you know that, Louis, but 
Gal. You and your exclusive summary. He kind of forced you into it, Stu. Although said, it was a perverse thought. Yeah. You know, We've all had dark thoughts, though. You always you want to push your granny in front of traffic or something every once in a while, just like, what would happen if... And that's all it was, but you're quite right. I, I said that for the good of everyone's mental health going into the start of this season, I shouldn't say out loud the dark thought I've had. And Christopher Gallagher did force me under duress. He held the... Held the podcast hostage ultimately until I said it. So I, I thought it was going to be a bit sex thing. So I was looking forward to hearing it until I heard it. But it's, it's the, it was the opposite of a sex thing, that's for sure. <laughs> um, just on on Eddie there, we had a, a question from uh, Mikey Proven in the the flick chat. He says, "Talk of Eddie signing a new deal has went quiet." I thought if it was going to sign a new deal, it would have been announced before the season ticket deadline. Do you think he's signing one or or not? Is anybody worried that nothing's happened yet is in, in terms of that? Or is that the big is that the big reveal? You know they might possibly wait for the maximum amount of impact that they can get from that. That's maybe psychologically. That might be the added value. It might be. Um I'm not I'm not overly worried about it for I mean, we've seen the rumour mill start to really churn now with all the shite they're talking about Leeds and Crystal Palace and that's inevitable. I said yesterday on the agenda that I was surprised that it's taken so long for it to come about. Um, but certainly I think that if the, the club are in a position right now where they don't have to sell, they don't even have to offer him another contract. They could just, you know, say, well, they could do what Christopher Gallagher did to me yesterday and just say, well, you, this is what you're doing. And that's that. And Edward just dominate you. Just dominate me. I have to like it or lump it. And uh but I think that Edward will be given a new contract because I think more than anything he, he deserves to be you know the the highest played paid player at the club because he's by far the best player at the club. Uh, so it'd be naive of him not to to sign that if he is not going to be moving on anyway. So I would imagine that that, that will be in the works. And from everything that you're seeing, it's, he's in all the he's in the promotional materials, which is more than you can say for Morelos on the other side of the city. And uh, he seems seems pretty happy and pretty content. So I, I would be. I'm more worried about him getting injured than I am about him moving on. Put it that way. I, w- I would, I would see him staying. I think he will stay. Uh, but I think we're probably not hearing as much about transfer dealings because every other country in the world is still focusing on the league campaign. So maybe there's just not that much coming out about transfer uh, rumours because people are still trying to finish the league. Well, maybe Lennon did say that in his interview the other day with Sky Sports, didn't he? That they were expecting more, you know, things to advance once the other competitions had been kind of finished up, especially in England. Uh, so I mean, there might be a way of coming, but I, I still be- I believe in the boy and I believe in the fact that he's going to stay for the ten. Yeah, I think he'll definitely be here for the 10. I also think he'll sign a new deal. And I think, you know, signing a, sign a new deal doesn't mean that he's not going to go at the end of the 10. It probably means the opposite. He will go, but, you know, all parties will be protected in it. Um, we're going to move on. Um, we had the, the fixtures came out the other day. Um, so we now know who we're playing and when we're playing. Um, there is no winter break this season. So we're going to be playing games uh, in January, February. Um, we start our the the kind of run for the ten. We start on the second of August, Sunday the second of August against Hamilton, which is down as a half four kickoff at home. Um, Hamilton, nice you know, nice sacrificial lamb to the slaughter for the ten um, to start start the ball rolling. Easy three points here in the bag. Um, yeah, the ten's done really. 
Um, it's a conspiracy, mate. It's, it's a conspiracy. Tell us about the conspiracy, Stu. Tell us, talk mate, us through. It's Peter Laws, uh, you know, playing everyone like a fiddle there. The unseen Fenian hand, Peter Laws. Exactly. Uh, I liked the. <laughs> there was some a Rangers fan on Twitter uh, who was complaining about how Celtic always get home games on the first day of the season. It's like, well, mate, if you would win the league, then you would know what that's all about. Uh, so, yeah, I think that from a, from a fixtures perspective, it's a really, really positive start for Celtic Hamilton at home. And then the first kind of on paper tough fixture that you're really seeing would be Aberdeen at home, I suppose, which is like the fourth game in. And then obviously with the Glasgow derby not being until October and being at, at Celtic Park, it, it is quite positive the way that the, the computers churned it out. Obviously, the one thing that goes against us is the fact that there's no winter break, so uh, there won't be an opportunity for Rangers to allegedly do whatever they they do in January. Uh, but I'm sure that by that point we'll be out of sight, so it won't be a problem. Is the computer done as a job? I think they used Logsoft to uh, pull out the... Uh, the oh, he's been sitting on that one. When did you come up with that one? Two seconds ago, mate. They just, they just came out of me like that. Don't you worry. Um, yeah, I mean... Ugh. I mean, do you get some slight advantage from the, the way fixtures are drawn? I suppose you do, but at the end of the day, you're going to win the league over the course of the season by beating the teams, do you know? Um, it, it, and if, if the boot was on the other foot, would we grumble about it? Maybe, but I don't really think it makes much of a difference, do you know? But Hamilton's a, is a nice fixture to start with because you, you've got to expect us to, to have too much for them uh, and it just kind of eases into the season. Um so yeah, no, it, it, it was fine, but you're always going to get that nonsense in that, that, that morning on Twitter. You know? It's just going to be ramped up this season because we are going for the 10, but at the end of the day, they've not had a fucking away game in the cup for about four years. So they can talk about fixtures all they want. We need to play the same same amount of teams. I mean, I don't know, maybe there was a word in the ear of someone to say, let's get the, the Rangers game as close to the end of the first round as possible. So it might be... Uh, there might be fans in there, but I mean, come on! It's not as if it's going to make that much of a difference. And if you can't, if if you're looking to the fixtures at the, at the first round of matches to win the league, then you're pretty fucking desperate. I mean, if you look at last season when we came back after the break, Celtic had a really tough run of fixtures. That that you know, a lot of people when we were quite worried about a title race were worried that, that they wouldn't kind of come through, and Celtic just dominated them. And then you know. On the other hand, they're they're dropping points to fucking Hamilton and St Johnston and teams like that. It's just one of those things that you're quite right. You've got to play everyone at some point, so off you go. With the regards to the Glasgow derby, I don't understand why people were worried, like wondering about that. Like, surely it makes sense to try and try and put that back as far as possible if there are to be fans coming back into football stadiums, and it would absolutely be the same if the first one was going to be at Ibrox, because that inherently over the course of the four games, if you have one that's behind closed doors and three that aren't, then obviously they're going to point to the fact that there's some kind of, you know, sporting advantage here or there, or it's not an even playing field. So surely you want to just give yourself that wiggle room if you can. Uh, And to suggest (laughs) when people are talking about how, you know, the, the computer's done as a turn, like oh, it's funny that they've managed to to put the Glasgow derby back. That but that's shite for teams like Dundee United and blah blah blah. It's like well, yeah, it's funny that there's always a new Euro uh, Glasgow derby and and you know these things are random up to a point, but also 
you know, very deliberate. Yeah, of course, of course. That's just the way it is. And it would be the exact same if it was the other way around. So they would be up in arms if, if, for example, if it was at Ibrooks first and they were told it was the second game of the season and there wouldn't be any fans. They'd be, they'd be livid about that. So can't have it both ways. They're, they're, they're going to be they're going to be pointing out every little thing this season. If if a referee smiles at a Celtic player in the tunnel, it's going to be brought up, and, and you know they're going to be very pedantic about everything. Um, is anybody worried about the lack of you know the fact that there isn't a winter break? We last year we we done very well out of the winter break, and it, it came at a good time for us. I mean, obviously you've not got as many games in December now. I mean. Last season, I think we had nine games in December. Um, this season, we're down for for six at this point. Obviously, this isn't factored in. You know, we've got the the Scottish Cup to finish from last season, and then the the cup competitions for this season. We're not quite sure if if the League Cup's going to run. Um, is anybody worried that we actually would probably benefit from a winter break? I think a lot of people that come up from uh, England talk about how they, they've enjoyed the winter break and I think the Rats spoke about it being a really good innovation up here and things like that. So I think that the, the team, the players and the, the kind of club in general really like it, but it's not going to make a difference. It's just kind of like everyone's going to have to deal with the same thing. And even if there was no winter break this time, we lost one game in December last season, you know what I mean, it, it was the last one in December, it was against the fucking filth, but at the end of the day we were on, we were on good momentum, I mean it was, I don't think that, I don't think that the winter break won it for us, the fact that we were unrelenting and our results was a, was the thing that won it for us. I think, um, oh, on you go. I think um, a break's always good, I think it allows the players to recharge and, and in terms of when we came back you seen we hit the ground running. But it could be that we've got it this side now that, that we've had a break. The point I made earlier on about some of our players playing too much football might have had a chance to recharge their batteries a bit. So it, it could it could work out that come December time we're not as tired as we normally are. And it seems as if we've got less fixtures in December than we normally do. So there, there might come a point in the season where we, we kind of hit a wall. Uh, and it, my gut reaction would be it would be good to have it. But as, as Graham says... I don't know if it'll make too much of a difference. I'm still hopeful that we'll come into this season fresher than we normally have um, and build up that head of steam. So um, I'd like it, but I can understand why it's not there. I guess it puts the... With all the games being played through January, you'd have to assume that inevitably with the Scottish weather being what it is, that maybe there would be postponements for those couple of weeks where you wouldn't normally be trying to get games played and maybe that could lead to a little bit more fixture congestion. But... However it works out, I think it's just important that you get points on the board and you don't end up in a situation like Rangers where, where you know, they've got this game in hand but and you're kind of counting points before they're actually, before they've hatched, so to speak. So just about being ruthless and, and getting the points on the board as quickly as possible. Last thing before we, we finish, um, I noticed Neil Lennon was talking to the the, the club the club, club's website and doing an article about um, the, he was talking about pressure he was I, I done an interview and he was talking about the players will be able to handle the pressure do you think we're who's under the most amount of pressure is the pressure to win the 10 or is the pressure to stop the 10 and if you get any I mean it hadn't really occurred to me that the players would necessarily feel under pressure I thought it was kind of odd that 
the club had an interview talking about the pressure. I mean, it's not really something you want to kind of admit and, and discuss or, or maybe give too much focus to. Just just quickly, what do you think? Who is the pressure on us or is the pressure on them? Stakes are high for both. If you think back, I mean, this isn't without precedent. You remember back um, back when we stopped the 10 eventually. The, the pressure was on us to stop it as well. Um but equally, the pressure, you know, it was sitting there. It was sitting there for them. Um, and they actually had to go and blow it. I, I, I think both clubs will be at full pelt because of it. Um, and the better team will win out uh, overall, which I'm assuming is going to be us. But um, I, I don't think... I wouldn't say that there's there's greater pressure on one or the other, to be perfectly honest, because it both means... It means everything to both clubs to either win it or stop it. So I think it's fairly even. That, that, that would be my feeling. I think you're quite right that there's an enormous amount of pressure on both. But all I would say is that there's always pressure on on both teams to be the dominant team in this city. And just going into this particular campaign, just because they have been... they ha- I mean, Rangers haven't really run as close at all over any of them. So... Perhaps there's not only the pressure to stop us, but that they've already got to overcome this psychological gulf of capitulating a couple of times and of, of not really being competitive. Uh, and then the fact that you know there there are early signs of of instability over there with all these Bristol City rumours with Gerard, the fact that they've got uh, long term injuries with Katic, nothing positive to be said about Morelos. So they've not got problems to seek over there. Um, but we'll we'll see. I think it's going to be a a very pressure is going to be the main the main buzzword. I think of the season. Aye, it's going to be something that's mentioned, and every every single time there's a, a Clyde Super scoreboard, anytime someone draws, it's going to be pressure. Pressure is going to be the buzzword, as uh, Stuart says. Uh, for me, there's a lot. We've already broken a record by being the club that's won nine twice. At the end of the day, we we have snatched that record. And they are a team, they're a club that are reborn and have not won anything. They're also a club that's thrown a lot of money at trying to stop this from happening. For me, as I, as I think the Rangers fans are just going to be completely like heart attack material this whole season because everything that they, everything that they have is getting thrown at stopping us from getting a 10. And if we get the 10, I just don't know what that club's going to be like after this. Like, I, I think it's going to be utterly broken. It's going to have fuck all money. It's not going to have uh, the current manager, I assume. They're just going to be a, a husk. The only thing they have is they've got serial winner Ryan Jack in there. I mean, that's the only thing, that's the only plus that I can see for them. Goal defense could be crucial. Oh, did you mean that, Gal? Aye, that was like a wee thing that said goal difference could be crucial as like for the league. Goal difference could be crucial. Uh, sorry. Superb. Um listen, we're gonna we're gonna leave it there. It's good to have, you know, games coming up. We could potentially be talking about um if if the players are in France, it's all going ahead. We could be looking at a game next week and then talking about it the week after. Um there's some uh, there's some rat on rat action in the EPL tonight. Um I'm going to watch it. I'm hoping that one gets injured and the other one is defeated. 
um, get it right up both of them. I'm going to go and watch that. Um, this has been a pleasure. As always, Stuart Duggan, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me on the People's Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. You are like the Tom Rogic of the 90 Minute Cynic. Technically brilliant and beautiful. Laid back. Very laid back and only good for 60 minutes. Very consistent, so he's nothing like Tom Rogic. Wow. Uh, that is the sound of a bitter, bitter man. Chris Somani, it's been great. Hopefully Somani McCaffrey uh, will be back on the air pretty soon. I will need to speak to Gal about that, see if he's going to put us on. We'll get a date in the diary, but we will be back soon. And uh, Graham, it's been a pleasure, man. It's good to get to speak to the people. Uh, I feel I feel sometimes like being on the Patreon so much, I'm like Prestige TV, like something from HBO. And it's like when The Sopranos went to Channel 4. So I feel like I'm the Sopranos on Channel 4 tonight. It's um, it, it's great to have you, and you can come here anytime. You know, you don't need to stay behind that paywall. You can, you can, you can let us know and come back anytime. This has been the Cynic Weekly. I've been Lou McCaffrey, and we'll speak to you down the road. Golden.